The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let us pray together. O Lord, our God, we do acknowledge that you are indeed the shepherd of your Israel, the church, that you are glorious and great, that you are our only hope of salvation, that you are the one who does indeed come in judgment against those who rebel against you, but you are also the one who, for the sake of Jesus Christ, hears the cries of your people, that you would restore us to your grace, that you would revive us, and that the light of your face would shine upon us. How we do rejoice that in Jesus Christ we see the face of love and grace and goodness for your people. And we pray, O Lord, that indeed the power of the Holy Spirit would be with us to revive us, to restore us, and to renew us, that as we begin a new semester of study, you would strengthen us, you would bless us, you would sanctify us, and you would help us above all else to glorify your holy name. So be with us and bless us, we pray, especially in this time of worship, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want together to uh, confess our undoubted Christian faith uh, using the Apostles' Creed. Um, If you would turn to page 845 in the Trinity Hymnal, uh, the uh, statement of the Apostles' Creed is, it strikes me, just slightly idiosyncratic there, and so in the interest of us reciting it all actually in unison, uh, if you have memorized the creed, you still might want to turn there and uh, let us all say with the mouth and from the heart, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Ask if you would, if you would open your Bibles to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 21. So John chapter 10. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. 
this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon. And he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May God add his reading to this, uh, may God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's pray. The Lord is my illumination and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, O Lord, grant us grace to wait for Yahweh, to be strong, to let our hearts take courage, and to wait for the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are the face of God to us. Holy Spirit, you are the illuminator and the presence of God. Father, in Jesus' name, we beg that the words of the psalmist might be our words, that his desire might be ours, and that you would grant us grace strength, and courage to wait on you for your illumination of the word and for your salvation as it is in Christ. Hear our prayer. Amen. Well, it is good for us at the beginning of a new school year to gather uh, to worship God, our A great purpose is to be able to serve the Church of Jesus Christ, and the Church of Jesus Christ is uh, so centrally concerned with worship, with calling uh, God's people together, that together they may pray, that they may praise and thank their God, that together they may continue to be instructed out of his holy will. 
So it is good that we do these things together at the beginning of a new semester, that we praise God, that we pray to our God, and that we listen again uh, to his uh, holy word. Uh, there are some who have expressed some surprise that I'm preaching from the New Testament, and uh, I like to try to keep people kind of off balance, and uh, uh, I uh, do uh, greatly love the uh, Old Testament, but I want to demonstrate I do also believe in the New Testament, and its continuing usefulness uh, for the church. As uh, I think Professor Estelle once uh, uh, observed, um, that the New Testament is uh, true and useful, but uh, rather opaque without the Old Testament. And, uh, um, uh, but we are turning to one of the great texts of uh, the New Testament this morning, John chapter 10, in which there are so many familiar and so many wonderful verses that uh, stay in the hearts of God's people because they are so illuminating as to the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, um, I think particularly of his words, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Uh, he is the good shepherd to his people. And as the good shepherd, he not only knows his sheep, but he is known of his sheep. And uh, this is one of the great uh, confessions that our Lord makes, and one of the great truths that he expects us to affirm but as we come to chapter 10, uh, we need to always bear in mind, it seems to me, that chapter 10 is really Jesus' explanation of what happened in chapter 9. What happened in chapter 9 is one of the great events of John's gospel. In chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. And uh, those of us who are very familiar with the scriptures may be so familiar with this story that it doesn't really grip us the way it ought to. It's always one of the dangers of becoming familiar with the word of God that the great things within it have become a little bit ordinary for us because we know them so well. But the healing of the blind man is made clear by John is one of the most remarkable things in all of human history. The blind man himself confessed after he was healed, John 9.32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And then when you hear that blind man healed say that, then you look back into the Old Testament and you discover that of all the miracles in the Old Testament, no one who was blind was ever healed. Yet the Old Testament reflects on what the healing of the blind would mean. In Psalm 146, verse 8, as all psalm singers would know, the psalmist declares, the Lord, Yahweh, opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. This miracle on Jesus' part is one of the great marks of his divinity. He has come into the world to be the light of the world. And indeed, just before his healing of the blind man, after the disciples have asked the reason for the blindness of this man, Jesus had declared, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he demonstrates that he is the light of the world then to his disciples and to anybody 
who pays any attention by then healing this blind man. And again, perhaps we have become so familiar with Jesus' claims for himself that they don't shock us very much. And yet, there can be no doubt as we read chapters 9 and 10, and indeed more widely in the Gospel of John or in the New Testament anywhere, that it was profoundly shocking for many that this perfectly ordinary-looking fellow was making such statements about himself. Here Jesus is, rather clearly, a bumpkin from Galilee with, I'm assured by our Old Testament experts, at least a slight Galilean accent to his Aramaic. Standing in Jerusalem in the shadow of the temple and making claims like, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. it is really not so very surprising that the leaders of the Pharisees were annoyed with him and that they might sneer at him. Sure, you can be his disciples. We are the disciples of Moses. We are those who know the scriptures. We are those who have leadership amongst the people. We are the shepherds of the people. We are the preservers of the law and of the temple and of faithful Jewish living. Who is this bumpkin who dares to say that he is the light of the world? And Jesus, with a remarkable calmness, says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. How can he have such confidence in this relationship between himself and his people in chapter 10 he's explaining that and he says my sheep know my voice my sheep know my voice they they recognize me it's a little parallel to the way in which a child knows the voice of a parent You don't have to think about it. You don't have to analyze it. You don't have to spend a lot of time about it. You just recognize the voice. And Jesus is saying, that's the way it is between me and my own. I recognize them. They recognize me. They hear my voice. And they know who I am. And so I thought we might this morning spend a little time thinking about that voice of Jesus. The voice says it bears a message, first of all, to his people. A message that as the good shepherd, he is the leader of his sheep. And what does that mean, that he he leads the sheep? When we move beyond the rather metaphorical image there, he's saying it means that I save my sheep. Verse 9 of chapter 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. That salvation, he goes on to say, is the life that I give to my sheep. I came that they may have life, 
That's what his salvation is. That they may live, live forever. That they might have a life, Jesus says, that is abundant, overflowing, extraordinary. A life that goes on forever. That's the promise that Jesus has made to his sheep. That's the work he has come to do. That's his character as a good shepherd. And he says the way that life will come, this is what his voice declares, this is the message that his voice carries, that life will come abundantly, profusely, overwhelmingly to his people because he will lay down his life for his sheep. That's the character of his love. That's the character of his devotion. That's what the voice of Jesus says to his people. That's the message that it carries. And it's a message of such love, a message that is so particular. He says, I call my sheep by name. That's wonderful, isn't it? Remarkable, isn't it? I don't know all your names yet. I couldn't call you by name yet. The truth is, I probably never will. That's why I had to stay at the seminary instead of going to the pastorate. I had nightmares of standing at the door, person after person coming out after worship service and not knowing their name. He knows us all by name, individually. On the last day, this has to be a bit metaphorical, Jesus is going to stand at the door and welcome us, each one, by name. Not by the hundreds, not by the thousands, but by the millions and tens of millions. I don't know exactly how that's going to happen, but that's the promise. He knows every one of us by name. And he assures us that we'll all be there that we'll all receive the blessing of life, that we'll all be part of the sheepfold if we know him, if he has called us by name. John 10, verse 4. When he has brought them, when he has brought out all his own. He's not going to lose one, is he? I think Scott Clark would like us to pause at this point and sing, there were 90 and 9 who safely lay. But that's true of our Savior, isn't it? That there's not going to be one lost. He's not going to be content to have 99 in the sheepfold and say, well, you know, 99 out of 100, that's a pretty good average. No, he knows us not only individually, but he's assuring us that we'll all be there who know him. He knows us and we know him. He's the good shepherd and we'll be his sheepfold. That's what the voice of Jesus says. That's the encouragement to us. That's the comfort to us. And that's why Jesus is saying in this text that not only does the voice bear this message, but the voice rings in the ears of his hearers. They hear these sheep when he speaks. They know when he calls them by name. They recognize that voice. They know that he's their shepherd. And they follow where he leads. 
What a wonderful picture of what it means to be a hearer of the voice of Jesus. We listen, we recognize, we follow. That's what's held forth to us in this text. And that's what John really is saying over and over again in his gospel. He's, he's illustrating this point over and over again in his gospel. John's gospel has one great theme. You need to really believe in Jesus. That's what it means to hear him, to recognize him, to follow him. You need to really believe in him. And, and John is, is showing us throughout his gospel how, how that happens in person after person in surprising ways. John the Baptist, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, Mary, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the blind man, and many others. They hear. They recognize. They follow. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful picture this is of how the, not only does Jesus know the sheep, but the sheep know Jesus. And the blind man is a superb illustration of this. Jesus, in the face of criticism, has left the immediate precincts of the temple and he's walking along and there's a blind man sitting by the road and his disciples, with their usual profound insight, say to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They seem to be following the genuine the general human track of assuming that if someone has one handicap, they must have others as well. If the man is blind, then he can't hear, so they can talk about him. It's not a world of compassion that's revealed in the heart of these disciples. Now, we don't know for sure the blind man could overhear this conversation, but it seems likely. And Jesus does respond to their question. But he moves from theological discussion, which is always good, to compassionate action, which is, dare I say, slightly better. And having said, I am the light of the world, he then heals the man. But you know, this healing is is perplexing. It's a strange healing. But having looked at the explanation that we have of what Jesus is all about in chapter 10 and then looking back at chapter 9, this healing may become just a little clearer. The blind man apparently has heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. He's heard the voice. And then Jesus takes dust from the earth and spits into it and rubs it on the man's eyes. How would you have reacted? I don't know if first century dwellers in Jerusalem are as fastidious as we are in the 21st century, but I have to think that even in the first century, there had to be a slightly, ooh, yuck reaction. How 
has this man recognized some right of Jesus to do this extraordinary thing? Has this man at least begun to think if this guy is the light of the world, maybe I should let him do what he wants to do? And then Jesus says to the man, get up and wash in the pool of Siloam. Which, it would appear, was some significant walk for this blind man. Not easy to do. Trying to control the ooh-yuck reaction and not just immediately at the first water available wash the mud out of his eyes. Maybe needing to find someone to guide him through the streets of the ancient city, he goes and washes. He's heard. He's in some sense recognized. And he's followed. And what is the result? Jesus has become the light of the world for him. He's lightened, enlightened his world. Jesus has brought him life. Life that is abundant and overflowing. Here is a sheep that Jesus called by name. We don't know his name, but Jesus knew his name. And Jesus has added this man to his sheepfold because he's been the good shepherd. And what do we immediately see? We see the Pharisees in their leadership role as shepherds of the sheep of Israel saying, how wonderful this man has been healed. No, not at all, do we? They reveal the kind of shepherds they really are. They reveal why Jesus has to talk about what it means to be a good shepherd because their reaction is purely negative and furious about this man, about what Jesus has done. And so when they come to the man and when they examine him and when they find that he is following Jesus, there is no rejoicing in their heart because there is no care for the sheep. There is no love for the sheep. We read in 934, they said to the blind man, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out of the synagogue. And you see, this is what leads Jesus to talk about good shepherds versus hirelings and robbers and those who have no care for the sheep. But in fact, at the first threat, reveal that they have only really come to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And so as we look at the good shepherd and the message that his voice carries, and we look at the sheep and see how they hear the voice of Jesus and respond to the voice of Jesus, we need to remember that the voice of Jesus still sounds in this dark world. And it sounds through those who will carry the voice of Jesus into this world. We see that at the end of John's Gospel, don't we? In verse, in uh, chapter 21, where Jesus is so gently and lovingly restoring and recommissioning Peter. And one of the things he says to Peter, as we read it in the ESV translation, is, tend my sheep. But I think it would be much better if we translated that shepherd, my sheep. 
Uh, there are under-shepherds who are to be present in this world who will still carry the voice of the Good Shepherd into the world, the message of the Good Shepherd, the love of the Good Shepherd. And Peter is being commissioned to be one of those people by Jesus. And of course, as we've already seen in some ways, the, the blind man is such a carrier of the voice of Jesus, even when Jesus was still living, when the Pharisees challenged the blind man about his healing, the blind man carries the voice of Jesus to them in a remarkable way. Verse 27 of chapter 9, he, the blind man, answered them, these faithless leaders, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then down at verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Here is the blind man carrying the voice, the words, the message of Jesus rather sharply, but very clearly these people who need to hear the voice of Jesus but will not listen, will not recognize, will not follow. And as we begin a new semester of study here at Westminster Seminary, California, we are really in the business of trying to continue to carry the voice of Jesus into the world, a world which often does not want to hear, but in which God has his own who will hear, who will recognize who will follow. And the reason that we want you to study so hard here, the reason that the course of study often seems so very demanding here, is we want you to be faithful under-shepherds who faithfully carry the message of Jesus into the world. Already in this text we've seen that the world will have many false shepherds with false messages. The Pharisees, as far as we know, were many of them very sincere. They really thought they were disciples of Moses, and the tragedy was they didn't really understand Moses at all. And, And so it is in the world to which you will go to serve the Lord and be carriers of his voice. There are so many false shepherds with false messages. Some of them completely and absolutely false. False prophets who have led millions astray. But there are also those who bear a message that is confused and, and muddled. As a church historian, I try to look for significant anniversaries in the history of the church. And as I'm sure you all know, in October we will celebrate an anniversary of one of the most important and decisive events in the whole history of the church. The 1700th anniversary of the victory of Constantine at the Milvian Bridge. 
you're all expecting a day off, right, uh, to celebrate uh, that victory. That really was one of the great milestones in the history of the church. It was the first great imperial victory of a general who thought he was a Christian and who proceeded from that victory at the Milvian Bridge to begin to protect and to begin to advance the cause of the church as he understood it. And he began, out of that victory, the whole 1,700-year-long debate that we are still having as to what is the relationship of Christ to culture. And particularly in the West, where Christianity long had a favored position that really can be traced back to the victory of Constantine at the Milvian Bridge. The sad thing about discussions of Christ and culture is that so often they show so much more interest in culture than they do in Christ. But right from that moment of victory, Constantine began to intrude into Christianity a measure of confusion. He soon began to regard himself as one of the shepherds of the sheep and told the bishops that he was a fellow bishop and called ecumenical councils of the church to study doctrinal issues and punished heretics. And so began aspects of things that helped Christianity, but many things that compromised Christianity. Constantine maybe should have sung Psalm 146 himself with the church. Verse 3, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. We can debate whether Constantine was a real Christian. We can debate whether his conversion was good or bad for the church. But we know this, he had no salvation for man in himself. Jesus is the only son of man in whom there is salvation. And that's why the carrying of his voice into the world is so crucial. And why it is so crucial that it be done faithfully. And that is why it is so vital that we always remember the only way to know whether we are faithfully bearing the voice of Jesus into the world is if we are faithfully carrying the message of his written word. That's the only standard. It's the only judge. It's the only reliable guide. And as you carry that word, as you carry that word, you need always to remember that as you bear that word, you cannot bring life. You cannot regenerate. You cannot grant success to that word. Only Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can do that. But that preaching of the word remains nevertheless powerful, vital, indispensable. Because it is that faithful preaching of the word that the Spirit of God uses to plant hearts, faith in the hearts of God's people. So as we begin a new school year, we're part 
of a 2,000 at least year long call of the Lord Jesus, commission of the Lord Jesus to be bearers of his word because it's only the voice of Jesus that will bring life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, the, for your word. We're thankful that the voice of Jesus still stands and sounds and rings in that word. And we pray, O oh Lord, that in the, in the struggles of life, in the struggles of study, in the moments of frustration and difficulty and pain, that we would listen for the voice of Jesus as it speaks to us and calls us by name, calls us to life in him. So bless us, O Lord, and use us. Open our ears and build us up in the faith, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray together. Great Father in heaven, you are indeed king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. You are blessed, our sovereign, king of kings and lord of lords, and the shepherd of our souls. To you be the glory, honor, and eternal power. We come together this morning mindful of your great goodness to us in giving to us the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his sheep, even us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, because through him you have blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places. And so we thank you that you chose us in him, the great shepherd, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We thank you that in love you predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters of the great shepherd through the work of Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue to open the eyes of our hearts, that we might know him more and more, and then through him the hope of our calling, the glory of our inheritance and the surpassing greatness of your love toward us in Christ Jesus. All this you have brought about in him when you raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And so we come to you as a community desiring to be faithful to the great shepherd, the one who laid down his life for his sheep, that you would teach us how to lay down our lives for one another as we proclaim his voice, his word, to such a needy and dark world. And so, Lord, through him, may we be salt and light of the earth. And may this seminary be faithful because of your faithfulness to us, that in this seminary all that is said and done would bring honor to your name as men and women are prepared for ministries that extend your kingdom. Bless our faculty and staff as they faithfully use the gifts and skills that you have so freely given to serve you and one another. And bless our students this year with much strength, wisdom, diligence, humility, patience, perseverance, and love. And may they do their work as unto you, bringing you glory. Father, we come to you as your sons and daughters, thankful for the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ. And yet we are painfully aware of our continuing need of your grace. May we be new creations in Christ Jesus, where the old is passing away and all things are becoming new. And Lord, bear the fruit of your Spirit within us with all love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Lord, we pray all this in the confidence that you are able to do abundantly beyond all we ask or think through Jesus Christ our Lord, for we pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.